0: Hello, I'm Rizal Schusterman, and you are listening to episode 37 of A Positive Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by an amazing organization, Tenyad. Tenyad is an organization that helps so many people. It's a gamach that operates on the highest level of tzedakah, giving to others with respect and dignity. Tenyad enables young couples to start their life with beautiful beginnings, and they give them with outstanding dignity. They have their space set up like a store. So these young kalas and their mothers can come in and they can choose top of the line dishes, linens, towels, dish towels, flatware, everything they need or want to set up a home, except they get it for free. They often help these young brides with purchasing a wig, a sheitel. They do all this and then some. This mitzvah of Akhnas' Kala is done on a very high level. And at one time a year, they run a fundraiser to help make all of this possible and it's called the Tenathon. It's a live auction where you can choose from an array of luxury Cartier watches, Tesla car, thousands of dollars worth of jewelry. It's a win-win. You can win luxurious prizes, plus you get to help young couples begin their lives in a respectful way. In addition, you can watch their phenomenal show that they have a great lineup where they will be hosting these top Jewish performers in concert. And this Tenathon will be live streaming on November 6th. I know I will be watching, and I hope you will as well. The Ten Yod Auction Fundraiser is now live, so go ahead today, buy your tickets, do a mitzvah, and win prizes. Their website is tenyod.org slash auction, and please consider making a donation and help make a huge difference in these young couples' lives. Thank you so much to Ten Yod for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and being here today. If you are curious to hear more about a positive coach and what positive coaching can do for you, please reach out through my website, apositivecoach.com, and you can set up your own free consultation with me. So, positivecoach.com. Thank you for listening. Today's episode, like many of the previous episodes, is about a specific modality called dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. I've heard people talk about DBT and the successes that they've had, and I wanted to research it some more. Luckily, a friend of mine shared with me a contact information that she has for a wonderful therapist. And I was very excited when Alexis agreed to come onto this podcast and share her information and her knowledge on this very important modality. So, in today's episode, we dig a little into what DBT is, how it's different than other modalities. What are some of the successes that you can find with this modality and more? I think you're going to find this episode to be interesting and insightful. So sit back, relax, and be ready to grow.
1: So thank you so much for being here today, Alexa. I'm so grateful for your time and your willingness to share and educate myself and my podcast listeners. I've recently heard a lot about DBT, and I'm curious to learn more. Sure. This is a little bit that I've gleaned from conversations and other podcasts. So DBT stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy, therapy. and I know it's an intensive, structured kind of therapy that can help kids and teens who have a lot of trouble handling their strong emotions. So I know originally it was for adults, and now I know that you work with children. I'd love to hear more about that.
2: Yes. So originally, yes, it was designed for adults, and now we've, you know, evolved to incorporate um, children, which is an offshoot model DBTC, which is DBT for children, and then, um, you know, we work with adolescents as well and and their parents.
1: Right. So. Am I correct to understand that it was first created to treat borderline personality disorder? Correct. And now I know a lot of people are using it for um, anything from anxiety to depression, ADHD, bipolar, drug abuse. Yes. Is that accurate?
2: Yes, correct. Anything that really um, gets in the way of creating a life worth living, right? So anything um, that involves um, difficulty regulating your emotions, and getting in the way of um, what we call in dbt a life worth living
1: right okay which is so i'm so curious about that because from what i know and i could be wrong about Mm -hmm. um, borderline personality disorder is not something that you can get rid of you can learn tools how to live a better life but it's not something so i'm curious how did that come to be that we went from something that was used to treat bpd and then now we're using it for things that are much milder.
2: Yes. Yeah, so you know, I think the you know, and, and I'm sure you know, Marshall Linehan, the creator of it, uh, you know, just giving her lots of credit for what she has done. Um, you know, the the realization that you know these skills are helpful for all types of different diagnoses, and not just looking at the diagnosis, right? Because you know, when we focus on the diagnosis, we kind of get caught up in the name of everything, but we're really looking at are the behaviors and the thought processes and what comes out of um, what's going on in someone's life, regardless of their diagnosis. So we're really focusing on that. And when we focus on that, we could see that, you know, some people who have different diagnoses have some, you know, characteristics that could be similar to someone with BPD right? It's all about emotion regulation. So, you know, you can have a diagnosis of anxiety and have a really, very difficult time regulating your emotions around that. Um, So there, it becomes very applicable to other diagnoses. Um, And these skills are, you know, some of the skills are just really life skills that are really helpful. Um, Whether you have a diagnosis or not, I have to tell you in my own personal life, Um, you know, having had learned these skills has helped me, you know, become a a person that can tolerate my own emotions better, right? A person that can um, parent a little bit differently, right? So I'm looking at things from a different lens and looking at life from a different lens. Right.
1: That's beautiful because what I'm hearing you say is, is that we, all of us humans can use these tools and life tools. And I think that's yes. such a good shift and a reminder for all of us to remember that we're people, we're humans, we're not our diagnoses. We are right. um, people that have certain things and that we struggle with. But it doesn't matter what the actual diagnosis is. This is a person that can learn tools and learn how to manage as long as there's a desire to learn it.
2: Correct. Absolutely. And there has yes, so willingness is something that's very important. Um, You know, we work very hard to try to gain commitment from people that we work with, Um, you know, and so as long as you have willingness, there really is the opportunity for change. And so willingness is something that's very important in this process. And um, when we see that willingness is going down, that's something that we work on as well. And we target that in our treatment.
1: That's a good, at least a, a question that's coming up for me. Yeah what about if it so I know you work with children and I'm curious Mm -hmm. more about how that differs what is the dbt different when it comes to children that's number one Mm -hmm. and the second thing is that's coming up for me is I'm curious with children sometimes there isn't a willingness unfortunately there's a child that's struggling with wanting to live or doesn't want to live or is trying to hurt themselves is that would that be considered a willingness to to live to um learn, or is it to cry for help? You know how how does that how does that work if some, a parent wants their child to go to DBT, but they're busy trying to hurt themselves and they're harming themselves and they're not showing an interest. Can that right.
2: So if a child is, you know, and I think there's a a difference between so someone who's you know saying that they want to kill themselves, um, that they want to harm themselves there are reasons for that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the child is unwilling. Um, It means that the child has not seen a different way of handling their emotions. So once a child is able to see that there are different ways that I can deal with this besides harming myself or killing myself, then the willingness will come, right? So sometimes children don't see Anything else, right? They don't have the skills. No one's presented them with any other options. And with children who want to kill themselves, you know, a lot of it is around I want this pain to stop. I want these emotions that I'm feeling that are so overwhelming to stop. Or if they're harming themselves, you know, I want to release that pain because when we, you know, self harm or we cut, Our brain releases these natural opiates, right? This this is like our survival process as a human being. And so we release these opiates that make us feel better. Um, And so they know if I cut or if I harm myself, I'm going to feel better afterwards. Um, Or there are some children who are not really feeling much, right? And they're maybe severely depressed and I want to feel something. So they'll harm themselves in that way to feel something. They don't have anything else. They don't know anything else. They haven't been exposed to any other skills. And so when they're exposed to other options and ways of dealing with their emotions, then some willingness can come about.
1: Right, that's a good point to remember. So um, would you say that a parent should, even if their child is showing unwillingness, perhaps the parent can begin the process because you did mention this is a process that works with the parent and the child. Yes,
2: and we do suggest that. So sometimes if you're working on on the DBTC front, so, you know, DBTC is, you know, uh, DBT, but it's just packaged differently. And it's packaged differently in the way that we have a parent component. And the parent component starts first, where we help and work with the parents to create this, what we call a change ready environment, right? So, there are environmental factors that need to um, change sometimes within the dynamics of the household in order for a child to be able to work towards change, right? So, we work with parents on different um, skills, parenting skills, um, you know, acceptance of their child, very, very, um, I'm sorry, various different skills within the parent um, realm to help them, you know, help their child really. And I always say to the parents that I work with, I'm like everything that I have in my my brain, right? As a therapist, I want to pass on to you so that you have it long-term to help your child, right? And that's really the goal is that they have the skills and then when they have the skills and they've created this validating, non-judgmental environment around their child, then their child is in a place where then they can start to change because they're seeing the environment around them change. Usually what happens, right, when we have a child that's you know emotionally dysregulated, parents become frustrated, right? They don't know what to do. Um, and so that frustration then you know, fuels the fire for additional frustration with their child. And so then the behaviors of the child increase. So then we have to work with the parents first to have a level of tolerance for what their child is going through and a level of understanding and how to deal with that, right? And then we can work with the child.
1: So what I'm hearing you say is that use the word acceptance we need
2: to accept mm-hmm. our
1: children where they're at meet them where yeah. they're at yes and we want to see change in our children yes we need to change first
2: correct correct we need something, to change first. something
1: that we realize as parents you know I think sometimes we get caught up in what we want to see behavior mm-hmm. and we yes. forget that it's each child is in a world and there's going to be different behaviors to be accept expected from different children right um, so that, that's yeah. a really important piece to remember as a parent. So I, I appreciate that. Yes. My question is, is you said acceptance. Can you, can you like tell me what would it look like for a parent? What does that mean? And what does it look like to truly accept your child? that's mm-hmm. struggling.
2: Yeah. So to truly accept your child that's struggling is really to um, love them, unconditionally or have them feel that love. Cause you probably, you do love your child, right? You, I'm, I'm going with the premise that every parent in, in DBT, we go with the premise that everyone's doing the best that they can, right? And the dialectic of that, the other side of it is, you know, two things can be true at the same time, right? Everyone's doing the best that they can and we can do better, right? So going with that premise is that parents are doing the best that they can, right? And they can do better. So part of that acceptance of your child is showing your child that, you know, no matter what you're going through, I am going to be there for you. I am going to help you through this. I'm going to manage my emotions for you so that I can help you manage your emotions because I know that there's something going on and I'm going to validate your feelings, right? And show you that what you're going through and what you're feeling does matter. Oftentimes as parents, we think, oh, you know, we come from an adult perspective and we're like, oh, you know, and, you know, as you, as you get older, you're like, oh, these little things in the past, oh, they don't, they're not big deal. They're not a big deal, but for a child, it's a huge deal, right? And so, you know, to accept is to accept how they're feeling, to accept their emotions, to not negate those things, right? To validate those experiences for them. And so that's part of the acceptance process.
1: Yeah. So what's coming up when you're saying that is, I'm thinking of some of my own children and some Mm -hmm. of the things like, for example, what I've noticed, and this is not just my children, I hear this from other parents as well, is this younger generation really wants um, immediate pleasure all the time. Oh, they yeah. really have a difficult time with uncomfortability, things that mm-hmm. don't feel good. Something that I've been teaching my children is that growth happens in the discomfort. And, you yes. know, I've been sharing with them the ooh and ah rule, where if it starts up with, oh, ah, mm-hmm. so good, mm-hmm. ah, then it's probably going to follow with, oy afterwards. But if yeah. you start up with, oh, then after you feel like, ah, that felt good, mm-hmm. or like something yeah. like that. But they really have a hard time right. managing discomfort. Yes. And as a parent, we understand that you still need to, you know, do certain things that are uncomfortable from taking a Correct. shower, which I don't understand why it's uncomfortable, but
2: <laughs> um, as many children struggle with that,
1: <laughs> or um, for somebody else, it's, you know, actually doing five minutes of homework. Right. So when I think about what you said about acceptance is meeting the child where it's at is where does the line go from? I need my child. You know, well, no, well, I a need I want my child to do well. I want them to be able to function with some discomfort in life Mm -hmm. and I want to make accommodations for them. So my question is like, I guess the question is, is that fine line sometimes is really hard for parents to Mm -hmm. figure out where that is. What would be something that you can share with us that can help us, you know, navigate that, that challenge?
2: Yeah. So one of the things that we do with Um, you know, in the parenting component, we go through, you know, what are, what are the things that, you know, kind of need to happen? And what are some of the things that we can just let go of, right? And create a hierarchy of that, right? Because there are some things that us as parents really want for our children, and they may not be things that are most pressing, right? And so what can we tolerate and kind of let go and put to the side for now until we work on really the bigger issues at hand? And so sometimes we get caught up in the the minute things, you know, with our children um, where we may need to let go. And that's sometimes hard for parents, right? To let go of certain things that we may have expectations for for our children or want for our children, right? So we try to work on letting go of certain expectations, letting go of attachment to outcomes, right? So that, you know, parents also aren't in a place where they're so frustrated. And they're also focusing on what are the things that are most important here with our child, right? And mental health is the key to getting them to a place where they can do all of these other small things that we want them to do, right? Like take a shower, brush their teeth, you know, all of those things that, you know, sometimes the parents come to me and say that their children aren't doing. Well, when we get them to a space, a better space, you know, mental health wise, then know some of these things are going to start to fall into place then they'll be able to we can work on brushing our teeth we can work on taking a shower we can work on all of the smaller things but sometimes we may have to let go of some of these things for a little bit till we can get you know emotionally regulated in order to do some of the smaller things
1: right i would add to it that it's (laughs) a little while i think it's for yes long while sometimes yes yes many years <clears throat> so what I've seen, um, and that's a very true point, I feel that it's not that we're treating the symptoms, we have to treat the underlying problem. Correct. If we get to, okay, so this child has a really hard time with discomfort. Right. What can I do to help this child get strengthened in this area?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in, D- in DBT or in DBT in general, you know, we work on various skills. So we have our distress tolerance skills. We work on mindfulness. We work on emotion regulation. We work on interpersonal effectiveness skills. And the piece of, you know, tolerating discomfort will come through in our emotion regulation skills. Also our distress tolerance skills, right? We're tolerating distress. The whole point of distress tolerance skills is really to learn how to, tolerate a distressing situation something that we can't change right now in the moment until we're able to change it right and that's sometimes very difficult right so we have to learn so part of it is learning how do I handle or tolerate distress? how do I feel my emotion and tolerate that emotion because we feel some very uncomfortable things I always say I always term it as we're we're trying to get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable, right? right? And and that is that is part of of what we're doing here is trying to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And we're going to be uncomfortable in life, right? And how do we tolerate that? And so there are various skills to go through, you know, that help us tolerate different emotions, um, and and how they come. Right.
1: So let me just take a step back for a second. Mm-hmm. How is DBT how does DBT differ from mm-hmm. CBT cognitive behavioral therapy or traditional yeah. psycho you know analysis kind of therapy? What
2: yeah so so CBT it, so CBT is actually incorporated in DBT so the cognitive behavioral therapy. so working on the cognitions, right cognitive modification, those types of things that ha- occur within CBT, we do that in DBT. The difference here in DBT would be um, one the the layout, right of how the practice is is um, how it how it happens, right? So you know, we have our individual therapy, then we have our skills training. and um, then we also have um, the component for the therapist, which is um, you know our consultation team. So that's you know, in order to be doing, DBT to fidelity, you need to be doing all of these components, comprehensive DBT that with the, So there's that piece. And then, you know, uh, CBT is now incorporating some mindfulness. They have been, right? Um, but DBT has incorporated mindfulness from the beginning. So there's um, some components of Zen Buddhism that, you know, that's you know, the mindfulness has stemmed from. So incorporating that, um, the skills groups, of course, are different than CBT right? how we have them laid out and the dialectics, this, this piece of, you know, acceptance and change, right? That's the biggest dialectic within behave, um, DBT is the acceptance and change piece um, that DBT's premise is, right, dialectic premise is that we accept our clients where they are and be also pushed towards change right that whole piece acceptance and change um and then it there's lo- like
1: such a you know it's like how can I accept you and also if I'm truly accepting you then I'm not changing you I'm like okay this is who you are and I've accepted it and then right. moving them towards change it sounds like it sounds almost like in, in Judaism you know like we have this idea of like a messianic age in which we'll like things will be really truly peaceful and like the mm-hmm. lion will lay with the lamb and we'll have an era of peace no sickness no and to me it's that's what this sounds like it's like it's for those of you listening what, what is that how is that possible to accept someone where they're at mm-hmm. and also move them towards change I, I'm so curious to understand that more
2: yeah yeah so it's accepting right So you're coming in to me and you're telling me, you know, what's going on in your life and, and I'm accepting you wholeheartedly, right? Where you are and, and, you know, okay, this is what's going on in your life. And I'm not judging, right? Non-judgment is huge within this. So I'm not judging anything that's going on right now in your life and what you're doing. What I am asking is what? you're doing and what is happening, is that effective for you? Is that helpful for you? And is it creating a life worth living? And if it's not, then we need to work towards some change, right? You know, there are some things that you want to do differently. You want to see different, right? In order to get to your life worth living goals, because we create goals within DBT. And some of the goals and some of the behaviors, right? Although we're accepting of them, right? And we're meeting it with non-judgment. This is about the client, right? And and the goals that they've created. And so within those goals, are these behaviors that you're exhibiting, are they reaching, helping you reach that goal, right? And if they're not, we need to make some change. So I can accept you and also know that there needs to be, there are some changes that need to happen in order for you to reach the goals. That So, you
1: so what I'm understanding is, is that Acceptance means we're not judging. I'm not coming in there and saying, well, if you went to sleep earlier, then you wouldn't be so tired. Or maybe if you cut out this, then maybe you'd be that. It's just mm. right. So you mm-hmm. are struggling with this. Okay, wow, that's a lot. Okay, mm-hmm. what life do you think? And it's not like I. It's not like open-ended because there, because there's a part like what I've learned about as a coach where yeah. there's open-ended questions and then there's leading questions. Like, well, mm-hmm. if I ask them, well, how is you know, What do you think you could do differently? it can be a little bit leading. I'm trying mm-hmm. to get that to a certain question, but is it more about being more open-ended and really having them look at it and say, what can I do differently? Or is it is it more like, well, the therapist is leading it, so there might be leading questions as well. I'm just curious. Right,
2: well, we want, we want the client to come up with ways in which they can do things differently, right? We want them to, we want to create... A space where they can come up with ideas of how to do things differently. Though there's times where, you know, especially in the beginning um, of, you know, their DBT practice, there are times where, you know, they may not know how to change it or how to do things differently. And we might have to, you know, provide a suggestion. What, well, what do you think about doing this? Or let's look at the pros and cons of, of this. Right? If you did this. What would the pros and cons be of that, right? And so just, you know, looking at it that way from now and ultimately having them make the decision of where they wanna go with it.
0: That's
1: really, um, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. What's a typical timeline that a child works with with you or with another therapist?
2: Yeah. Uh, response,
1: or, you know, is that something that people do long-term?
2: Yeah, so the, the thing about DBT is that, you know, it's an, an investment, the investment is um, that it's um, a lifetime investment. When I say this, when I say lifetime investment is that you work with the person for a shorter period of time um, to create a life investment, right? So it's not a treatment that's a a long-term treatment. So if you're looking at standard DBT for, you know, for example, for adults, you're looking at, you know, six months of skills group, they may do another round of skills group, depending on how well they've generalized it to the environment. Um, And then one year of individual. And then with the um, DBTC component, you know, we look around like 32 to 34 weeks of treatment. Yeah. And we, and we look to see some, uh, some change happening around the six month period. Hmm.
1: Yeah. You said skills group. So that is, is that happening in a group setting and there's other people that have similar struggles that are.
2: Yeah, Yeah. So that's what, so adolescents and adults, um, they have the skills group option, um, for DBTC. They, that that doesn't happen, that's, um, you know, we learn skills in an area where um, they're learning skills with their parent involved. Um, So it's broken down a little bit differently. Um, And that's because, you know, for children to understand, but also for parents to have the skills themselves so that they can be the coach at home and coach their children to utilize the skills. Um, But within, the DBT realm for the adolescents and children, um, yes, they have skills groups, which they're with other adolescents or um, other adults, and they're all learning skills together and they're learning skills with their peers. And that's actually very beneficial um, because you know, they they see that, you know, once there are other people who are going through some similar situations. Um, and they also learn from each other right they start to learn from each other in the skills group um, so that's you know that's a really an important piece the skills are are so important they go hand in hand with the individual but it's just set up differently with um, dbtc versus um, standard dbt
1: so fascinating because okay. the most times you hear therapist, you know, the parent wants to send their child to somebody and then kind of you know fix them. I say. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Here it is. What I'm hearing is is that you need to go into the session with your child. You're sitting there with them and you're kind of doing the work with them and you're going to be taking that information. Like as you mentioned earlier. So it's like yeah all the information that you have, you're trying to share with the parent and the client so yeah. that they can then take it and move on with their lives and use that. Yes. In their life.
2: Yes, absolutely. So, you know, within the DBTC realm, we have the parenting component first, right? Before we even start to um, have, you know, incorporate skills with the child. We wanna make sure that the parent is, you know, creating this validating environment, but they also are able to look within themselves and regulate their emotions, right? Before we can start to create change with the child. And then, yes, we, we then now have the child involved and the child and the parent are involved in skills training and yeah so you know the parent will get all of the information as well so they they go on with their lives too afterwards and they're able to coach their children through utilizing their skills and the reason for that is that, you know children need a little bit more help right in prompting to utilize their skills
1: right would you be open to be sharing with us um, any stories or examples of where DBT, you know, therapy helps somebody move move forward and and you know have change in their life?
2: Yeah, I, I'm. I mean, I'm just coming fresh out of you know. So this is in a DBTC case, um, you know, but I'm coming fresh out of uh, you know uh, graduating a client, which happened yesterday, and it was such a fantastic moment because. Um, I was able to see her growth from, she was highly suicidal, um, self-injuring, and now, you know, we're here one year later, her having done six months of skills, um, you know, doing individual with me and phone coaching with me as well, Um, I didn't get to speak about the phone coaching piece, but (laughs) I'll go into that, Um, and phone coaching is just something where, you know, the. DBT therapist is available to the client, um, you know, all hours to help coach them through skills. If they have um, what we sometimes call a skills breakdown, they don't really, they're very dysregulated and can't figure out, okay, what skills I need to use. Um, So we help them through that. And so going through that whole year with her and now getting to this point of yesterday when she's graduated, it it was, it was so beautiful because she's now in college, she's doing well in school. You know, she had to take a hiatus from school for a little bit because of mental health. She's back in school. She's in an apartment with her friend. Um, you know, she's back into her spiritual practices. She's not self-harming, has no suicidal ideation. Um, so she's just like textbook, you know, fan doing really, 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 really well. She also has struggled with, um, you know, uh, restrictive eating and she's no longer doing that. Also no longer weighing herself on a daily basis. You know, she may weigh herself once a week. Um, So, you know, there's just so much change that came about and it was just such a beautiful moment um, graduating her yesterday. And just talking about her journey with her, and um, we became—you know—she became very teary-eyed because there was a point in time where she thought she would never see this moment. She did not think that this was possible. She did not think that she was going to stop self-harming. She did not think that she was going to live to see this moment. And and here we are. And so, and DBT was the route.
1: That's incredible. That must feel so, for you as a therapist to be able to help somebody get from that point. I mean, that's like a lifelong. Like y- you can take your hat and put it on a hook and say, I, I've I've done my work. You know? Yeah. But, you know, I think we still need you in this world. Um, but that's incredible to think that because you know, the, I'm actually curious about this one question. I've I've had yeah. parents reach out to me and their child is struggling or has been hospitalized for right. ideation or you know an attempt and they think it's the end of the world. They're like, this is the bottom. Like I have mm-hmm. reached the bottom. This is this is the worst, right? Yeah. And I, I've shared with them in my own personal life that I've, I've struggled with some of my children that actually it can be a turnaround. This can be a point of actual, the beginning of the healing. And it's actually yes. um, not, not a death sentence. It's actually the beginning of their life. Again, it's almost like mm-hmm. a rebirth. it can be. And I'm also curious to see, I don't know if there's any data out there statistically about, you know, I don't know about young children, but teens that are suicidal or tried or in the hospital for a breakdown of some sort, what the statistics are for how, after that, like what happens in their life, like, with, you know, like the trajectory of where they go and their success right. in life. Because I'm of the belief that I've known people that have been there that have gone on to live, done the work and have had years that were hardship, but have then gone to lead to lead really good lives. Yes. I'm wondering if there's any any proof of that,
2: but. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, you know, whether hospitalized, right, and hospitalized or, or not hospitalized, right. that there's, there is the capability to um, move forward and move ahead, right, and and come to a place of healing and live a very productive life, right? And so I don't have the exact statistics on, you know, what that looks like as far as you know um because you would really have to follow people for like yeah yeah have to
1: be involved in that study so it's a kind of yeah
2: um but i do you know in 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 the long term right you know following somebody for i know we have the statistics of like you know what the behavior changes and what the rates of our suit of suicidality are once they you know complete dbt which is the you know our talking about a year here, but, you know, looking forward to when they're, you know, we're talking about an adolescent when they're 30 years old, how they're doing then. Yeah, we'd have to follow them for for quite some time. Um, Though I think the place that we leave them, you know, when when we leave them, they're in a place where they're very capable of leading very productive lives. And what you talked about as far as coming out of the hospital, you know, being that starting point of healing, I truly do believe that because when we, most of our clients, a lot of our clients, when we receive our clients um, with DBT, it's, it's like, you know, with parents, particularly um, and adults, it's like their, this is their last resort. It's like, I, you know, I I've tried everything else. I don't know what else to do. Please help me. Hmm. And that's where we, you know, we get our children. So sometimes they're coming right out of the hospital and we're able to, to make changes there, you know, from coming out of the hospital. Just, so the hospital, yeah, it's not the I don't end want to interrupt you. I just, I that's, want to okay. ask,
1: that's a really good point that you're saying. Do you think that's part of it? Do you think that sometimes that point brings the parent and the child to a point where like now they're more open to make changes and they're like, you know, my child now mm-hmm. has this point Oh I need to start accepting them where they're at. I need to meet them. They really need my help now. So I I'm, I'm wondering if perhaps it's that point that helps them get to that moment of opening up and realizing there's more opportunities and I really need to look out there and see what's available.
2: Oh yeah. I truly believe that. I believe that, you know, there's hardships that, you know, people go through that bring them to this point of, you know, I need to do something. Something needs to change and some parents come in you know I'm I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen which is so wonderful and sometimes we have parents you know that they're, they're like I'm willing to do whatever it takes up until a certain point point," and then we have to do a little bit more work right there yeah. uh most people come in they're like I I you know especially yeah. parents at that point they're like I I really we really need it's to that do experience
1: that kind of opens us up it's like we're like, we feel like we're being, what's the term? We're being buried, but we're actually being planted, you know? Right, yes, I yes. And it's it, I've seen that over and over again. With regard to um DBT, what age would you say is the, you know, well, you work with children. So how mm-hmm. young is too young for children to be coming into working with?
2: Yeah, so DBT see that all of the um, evidence um this you know the uh clinical trials have been around um ages 8 to 13 for dbtc so that's that's really the the age range so you know kind of cut uh, cut off their eight eight years old um and then you know for adults of course and teenagers any any age following that Mm -hmm.
1: and is there has there ever been a case where you say that DBT wouldn't work for somebody like this is to, you know, is there a client or a certain diagnosis mm-hmm. that's dbt wouldn't work for?
2: Yeah, there's definitely been, I mean, I always believe that skills can always work for anybody, you know, that I mean they can be helpful for anybody. Um, would the full treatment be what's recommended for them? No, possibly not. So you might have someone with um extreme trauma and they may need um, some intense trauma treatment, right? Um, so, you know, and and sometimes we do that hand in hand too. We do, you know, trauma treatment along with DBT. So we may refer somebody out um, for, you know, um, a different form of trauma treatment. I mean, we do a trauma treatment within DBT called prolonged exposure. Um, so we do, we can incorporate that piece too. However, there are other trauma treatments that are out there. So, you know, we might, you know, involve them in a different trauma treatment. And, you know, we also work with them on the skills so they can go hand in hand. Uh, mm-hmm. So there are times where we may need to referral, we may need extra assistance for, you know, something else that's going on or, you know, extreme, like, so, you know, OCD, right? If we're looking at obsessive compulsive disorder, we might refer out for, um, you know, OCD treatment, which would be like ERP. And so, you know, we would do ERP um, or refer out for ERP, and then, you know, what they is- can, what um, exposure and, rep- and response prevention. And so it's really around, ex- it's an exposure treatment for, um, you know, obsessive compulsive disorders. Uh, and so we could you know, if that's getting in the way of their treatment with DBT, then we want to do um, and treat somebody with what's getting in the way first, and then they can come back into, right, DBT treatment. So we may have to refer out for that. And then they come back, and we can work on the all the other things.
1: So I guess the answer is not really. I mean, most people, <laughs> it's open for all. And if yes. you have some trauma, you can go and do that and then come back to deal with it but it's really available to all we mentioned you mentioned prolonged trauma therapy some form. prolonged
2: exposure yeah Can you tell me
1: a little bit about that what that looks like
2: yeah so prolonged exposure is um you know uh melanie harned uh actually just came out with um her book on prolonged exposure and you know really it's about um exposing our clients to their traumatic experiences um, in a therapeutic way um, and also a, a DBT, right, way. So they're doing DBT with us and we're exposing them to the trauma because sometimes the trauma could be so severe that it's getting in the way of some of the other forms of, you know, other targets that we want to get to, such as like the suicidal ideation or uh, the self-harm, we need to work on the trauma. And so, um, you know, in order to do that, we need to do um, work on some trauma. So the prolonged exposure is exposing people to the trauma. And when you have exposure, right? You know, as exposure is, is stated, right? You be when you're in, when you're exposed to what has happened in your life, repeatedly, then it desensitizes you, but we also help to, you know, change the narrative of what has happened, right? So doing some cognitive modification through that, because you'll notice then some things will come up like guilt and shame. Um, You know, depending on what the trauma is. And so we need to work on those things and we need to work on, you know, modifying the cognitions around guilt, shame, right? To help that person have a different perspective of themselves and of their experience. Mm -hmm. And then being able to accept that experience in a different way, in a way that doesn't cause um, hyper arousal when triggered. And then we can move forward um, with the other targets and components of, of DBT.
1: Okay. Question for you. If somebody's looking to find a DBT therapist that works with children, what would be their best way to find someone? I'm I'm assuming that you're pretty busy and you're pretty full. Me? no <laughs> okay. Hi. my Hi. friend who gave me your information and I'm so grateful to her
2: yes. um said that
1: you were pretty busy. So
2: yes, yes. Um, so actually the counseling center, um, the counseling center group, and you can go to ww.com counseling center group. Um, counseling center and, group, okay. Yes. And we are operating in Maryland. Um, so we are in Bethesda. Um it's just for
1: it's just for people that live in Maryland.
2: No, Maryland. Um we also have our New York office okay. as well. Um, and, we, and and Virginia and we are working on opening up New Jersey. Oh
1: wow. So it's mm-hmm. the counselingcenter.org. Dot com. Dot com. Counselingcenter.com. I'll put the Counseling the that's counseling center group counselingcentergroup.com I'll yeah. put them in the show notes as well I feel like there's so much information here this has been so helpful I'm curious to hear more I'm, I'm already thinking like oh I need to find somebody dbt therapists I feel like <laughs> I, I have so many interviews with different people and then I'm always like oh, I need to do somatic I need to do um EMDR I need to go do there's so yeah. many different ways to and do-
2: actually the counseling center group does do EMDR we have EMDR um therapists there so if you Want some information about that, and you know, want to interview a a therapist who's doing EMDR? I'd be more than happy to connect you. I
1: actually did. I did a already a topic Oh, you did. Okay. Yes, but that's (laughs) all. What would be your parting words or words of advice for a parent of a child who's struggling and having a hard time and really? it's wreaking havoc on the family and on this child and the whole dynamic. And it's just really difficult. What would be your sage advice to these parents?
2: Yeah, my advice to the parents would be, and as hard as it is, as hard as it is, would be modeling the behaviors that you want to see within your child. Because oftentimes as parents, this is so hard, right? Because it's a challenge to do that. And so we need to regulate, right, our emotions. So I say to parents, really hang in there, right? Validate your child's experience because they are going through something very painful, as hard as it is to do that. Whatever is happening with them is extremely painful for them. And so validating that for them is very important, but also being able to regulate yourself and get to a space where You can do that. And also reaching out for help is so important. You know, you're not in this alone. There are different treatments out there, um, you know, to help your child. So I say reach out for help and, you know, really try to model the behavior that you want to see from your child and accepting and loving your child. Um, as hard as it, as hard as it is, it is hard. And so my heart goes out to all parents who are dealing with children who are struggling because I know how difficult it is. I have my own personal experiences with parenting and what that looks like. And, you know, I know it's extremely difficult.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for that. That's so, that's so um, wise and helpful modeling. We need to model. What we want to see in our child and then you know you might think well i don't have tantrums but adults do we have our yeah. own this regulation that mm-hmm. happens regularly yeah and we can really model for our children why do you think it is that so many children are struggling more than usual today why does it seem to be happening there yeah. and earlier we're seeing younger and younger ages
2: yeah we're seeing younger and younger ages um you know we're seeing there's so many things going on in the world, so many scary things happening, right And so access to, you know our electronics, you know what our kids are seeing on TV, what our kids are hearing, the pandemic, I mean, our kids were socially disconnected for quite some time. And so whatever was there, what we have learned, through the pandemic is that, you know, whatever mental health concerns were there for the child has now been exacerbated, right? Through the pandemic, through all of the things that have been going on, you know, through the unrest that has been happening in our society. So, you know, our children are going through a unique stage and in time right now that we haven't really experienced as much they're they're experiencing I mean when was the last time we had a pandemic it was like 100 years ago right so they're having a very unique experience and us adults are having having it too um children are just you know they're 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 you know don't have the skills to deal with it as well as some adults and some adults are Really having a challenging time dealing with it as well. Um, I don't say it's you know all the pandemic, but I think it's just a combination of, of of lots of things. The pandemic just did not make it any better.
1: Oh, didn't help it. I also think yeah. there's an element that we think in every generation that our situation is the hardest, and they've never seen sure. this before. I think every generation we kind of go through that stage, like, oh, this is the hardest. But mm-hmm. I think each generation has its own element of struggle and challenges. Yes, is absolutely. not necessarily compare, but I think if we step up and say, okay, what can we do? How can we change this for better?
2: So. Yeah. I also think there's some, something lost. I, and this is just a personal perspective. Um, and, you know, I'm not quite sure. And I can I can speak to the, you know, this, this, you know, this, the, uh, you know, what's going out on out here outside of, of um You know the Orthodox community. You know, I think there's a a sense of a loss of community within you know um, our country, and you know coming together and helping one another. And you know that sense of community is super important, right, to helping our children and helping our parents. Um, And and that I feel like is something that has kind of we've taken a step back from that that sense of community and it's kind of like everybody every man for themselves and and that becomes extremely difficult when you're dealing with mental health right because community is important
1: community is very important Mm -hmm. and it's it's fascinating because this year is we're starting we're entering a new year which is called the Hakal year in Judaism we talk about this year of gathering and I think that when we gather together I think we need it more than ever we need this community we need to be getting together and connecting more because we know that antidote for addiction is connection. And yes. if we have Absolutely. more connection in our life, that is going to be the best thing we can do. And each of us in our own individual home with our family, with grandparents, yes. um, getting together with family and friends is going to be more important than ever before.
2: Uh, so important. So important. Yeah. I agree.
1: Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it
2: thank you for having me. I I truly appreciate it. And, um, you know, I stay in touch and I I look forward to any questions that you have moving forward. Um, Absolutely.
0: So thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it and learned some new things that you haven't known previously. If you are looking to follow me on Instagram, you can find me at a positive coach. And again, if you're interested to set up a free consultation, you can message me through my website at a positive Again, as always, if you can leave a rating or a comment on the podcast episode, it will just help others be able to find this podcast easier. So thank you so much and have a wonderful day.